Calling all birders. Join us from May 18th to the 21st, 2023 for the Great Salt Lake Bird Festival. Don't miss the premier event for both amateur and seasoned bird watchers. Enjoy workshops, keynote presentations, and over 200 species of birds. Start planning your trip by visiting greatsaltlakebirdfest.com. That's greatsaltlakebirdfest.com. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. Happy anniversary to us. It was the second week of December 2016 when we started this podcast. Six years and 220 odd episodes later, who would have thought we could do it? I have been with the ABA for about a decade now, maybe just a little bit more. Uh, and now most of my time with the American Birding Association has been working on this podcast. I'm not sure that the teacher assistant who was brought on part-time to manage the ABA blog would have believed it. For starters, podcasts were barely a thing then. Let that be a lesson to all you young professionals out there. The thing you end up doing may not even exist now. It could exist 10 years from now. Anyway, thanks to everyone who has come along with us on this ride. I'm grateful for all of you, especially those of you who spread this podcast via word of mouth or leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast dispensary. Consider that a holiday gift to me if you are so inclined. One bit of ABA business to note before we move on to the rest of the episode. We are doing our Bird of the Year reveal this weekend in Nashville, Tennessee. You can get tickets at aba.org slash B-O-T-Y. We're going to try and stream the reveal live as well. Apparently, the Wi-Fi at the site where we are going to hold the event is a little bit sketchy, but we'll do our best. At the very least, we'll record it and we'll uh, announce it on all our social media channels soon afterwards here as well, and then with a, an interview with the with the artist coming early next year. So if you are interested in joining us in Nashville, if you're in the Nashville area, please consider coming along. Uh, you can get information, you can get tickets at aba.org slash B-O-T-Y. So it's time for our annual Best Bird Books of 2022 episode, one of the most popular we do every year. I'm thrilled to welcome back friends Donna Shulman of 10,000 Birds and Birding Magazine's Frank Izagiri as we talk about our favorite bird books of this year. It is a fun one. Always is. Coming at you right after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the first week of December 2022. Let's talk tundra bean geese. We've seen a lot of vagrant waterfowl away from the traditional spots at the edges of the ABA area already this fall and winter, and that trend continues. A tundra bean goose in Decatur County, Iowa is a state first for Iowa. Interestingly, Iowa already has a record of taiga bean goose from 1984, making them the first state or province in the middle of the continent, as far as I can tell, to get both bean geese. A tundra bean goose was also seen this week in Harrison County in northern Missouri. There has been some speculation that this is the same individual as was well photographed in Iowa, but it isn't clear at this point. Uh, it would also be a first this time for Missouri. Not a first, but noteworthy in this gaggle of goose records. A gray lag goose was seen this week on the Avalon Peninsula of Newfoundland. This is an entirely reasonable time and place to encounter this bird, which looks like a sleeker version of your basic farm goose. In fact, gray lag is the species from which most farm geese are derived. For this reason, for a very long time, any gray lag goose seen in North America was written off as a captive, and indeed they are very common in captivity. But with the species increasing significantly in Greenland and Iceland, 
This is a species that we are likely to see more often in the ABA area in years to come. One other first to note this week before we wrap up, an eastern bluebird in Spokane, Washington, represents a first for that state. Interestingly enough, both mountain and western bluebirds are also being reported from that site, so one can get the bluebird trifecta if desired. How often does that happen? Uh, Seriously, I'm curious how often that has ever happened, if it has ever happened before. Those are the highlights of the week, but for the full list, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash rba. You can also follow along with all the Rare Bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and on ABA Community. Holiday season is upon us and birders out there are no doubt looking for gifts for friends, family, or for themselves. And what better gift than bird books? And we at the American Birding Podcast are here to help. I'm excited to welcome back uh, my friends, 10,000 Birds book reviewer, Donna Shulman, and my colleague here at the ABA, birding editor, Frank Izagiri, for what is always one of our most popular episodes of the year, our look at the best bird books of the past year, 2022. I am excited to get to it. Welcome to you both. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's talk bird (laughs) books. Um, But before we get into our lists, you know, as we usually do, we can talk a little bit about the state of bird books in 2022. My sense is that we are really, really feeling the absence of Houghton Mifflin Harcourt in this Mm. space. I know Princeton University Press has picked up uh, a number of the titles that were in production, but obviously it takes a little time to make that transition uh, there were just fewer notable titles out this year than there have been in mm-hmm. the last few i suppose the pandemic might play a role i don't i don't know i can't say um but has that has that been your impression as well i'm not alone in this well i was looking at the five i had and and the others in my piles for the year i did see that some of my books are either by Princeton University Press or other university presses yeah, yeah. or or organizations. I, yeah. I have one by a local Audubon and one by ABA. So I'm hoping that that might fill in some of the gap to uh, for smaller organizations to sort of step in, although I know it's tough. Everyone's stretched yeah. on resources. I suppose there's there's an op, there's a explanation that I have not covered. Um, are we simply at the end of the bird? Book? We covered everything. Everything has been written about, and there is nothing left for for bird book authors to cover. <laughs> I, I don't think that's the answer, but I don't know. Maybe I would say this year there. I think it's true that there were less sort of like blockbusters, so yeah. to mm-hmm. speak. Fair enough. Maybe two. Maybe three. Um, I think that we found um, those books together and we all kind of have them. Mm-hmm. So with the uh, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt absence, I do think that probably partially accounts for that. You know, you could usually expect one or two yeah. um, from from that publisher at least. But there still were, I felt, a lot of great books. I still had to think about it this year. Um, in a way, it was a little easier because I have at least one or maybe two books on my list that really one, I w- well, uh, that in the past, maybe I really couldn't have gotten in there, but mm-hmm. it's really high quality, but it was like more niche. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. there's, 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 there's thing, room for like, that. There's yeah. always going to be great bird books every single year. 
so so that that is what I think is different this year. A little bit a little bit less um, of the blockbusters, but still a lot of great bird books came out. Maybe maybe I'm I'm you know revealing myself to be somewhat uh, reliant on the <laughs> HMH and and BUB to uh, provide me with uh, with their bird lists. I, you know I certainly you know they offer their lists to us as as book reviewers and media outlets, and uh, there's there's less room for for some of the smaller smaller publishing houses to to do that yeah maybe that plays a role in my perception Mm -hmm. i i think it's a good question have we exhausted everything there is to write about in the birding (laughs) world um it, it may take some creativity um last year we had the habitats book on the list and um just from anecdotal social media postings i'm getting the impression the authors are thinking of going with that so hopefully um Mm. that's sort of an example of maybe making our scope wider yeah not just identification of birds yeah that's true Mm -hmm. well you know the last thing i need is is uh people making it harder to find books. I'm sure the authors don't appreciate that as well. But, you know, we'll we'll take what we got. And I think we've got some nice variety of uh, bird books this year. And I'm excited to talk about them with you all. So uh, I'm going to propose a, a way, this is more for our listeners, we talked about this beforehand, um, a way in which we will go through our list. Uh, as, as usual, Frank, Donna, and I have created a list of five of our favorite bird books for the year. Um, we will start with our fives and then kind of work our way up to our favorite bird books of the year. If one of us ranks a book lower, but other people have that book on their lists at a higher ranking, we will we will discuss it at the higher ranking. So um, if Frank has chosen a book that is uh, rank number four, we will say, all right, well, I have this one higher. We're going to put a pin in that and then we'll talk about the next one and uh, we'll we'll get to it as we get higher that way we'll kind of build tension uh for our favorite books to the to the best of our abilities um donna do you want to take the lead and sure. um and talk about the number five book on your on your list of the best of 2022 sure uh, my number five book is the birding guide to the greater pasadena area by mm-hmm. Pasadena Audubon Society. So yes, this is very local by a local Audubon. And once upon a time, this was not an unusual topic. There were many local mm-hmm. birding guides. You know, some would just be uh, photocopies. Uh, we, we we called them Xeroxes. Uh, <laughs> and some were more professionally published. These have slowly just slipped away. And, and I've heard yeah, yeah. many people say, well, we have eBird. We don't need these local That's guides. Exactly right. yeah. But we do. And yeah. this is, <laughs> I think, one of the best examples of a um, aerial birding guide that I've seen, both historically and today. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have to say, I am a member of Pasadena Audubon, even though I live in New York. Uh, because I'm in California a lot, and I know some of the people involved, but that had mm-hmm. nothing. That has nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a I have a book on my list where I know the people involved. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to escape that. It's true. It um, true. First of all, when 
they say Greater Pasadena area. This covers a pretty wide area of what some people might call Los Angeles, um, mm-hmm. the part of Los Angeles that's the foothills and the mountains and some of the more central areas. So it's not just Pasadena like, you know, Pasadena Playhouse, Pasadena. Second, it's a really uh, comprehensive in terms of information that you'd need for birding these areas. Mm-hmm. And I know as somebody new to a lot of these areas, I go there and I get there and I'm like, well, now where do I go? Right. Um, yeah, when you look at eBird and you <laughs> see the dots, but you don't know like what, what right. you're looking for on those dots. Right, right, right. Yeah. eBird is a fantastic resource, but it has its limitations, obviously. Yeah, they said there's red, red tits. Where are the red tits? <laughs> where are the red tits? I got no idea. Um, <laughs> it, it gives you directions and not just driving directions, even though I think it'd be tough to bird without a car, but a lot of the local birders bird by bike or public mm-hmm. transportation. So that's all there, amenities oh, and fees. Nice. It's beautiful to look at the cover and the chapter, the first pages of the chapters have these beautiful illustrations by Katherine Hamilton, who's a worldwide mm-hmm. known artist. And each chapter, it's 24 authors. So each chapter is by somebody who's actually birded that spot. And it's spiral bound. Pages have weight. It's just a really good local guide. And I'm just so happy to see that still being done. For sure. You know, the the argument against these sort of local guides is that um, obviously the internet is the place where we find all our information. It's easier to find. It's free. It's, um, you know, it can be updated more regularly, even though in, that is true more in theory than in practice a lot of the times. These sort of like local bird finding guides used to be, you know, mm-hmm. just yeah. everywhere, right? And th- there was a whole ABA lane series that was dedicated specifically mm-hmm. to these kind of local guides. And, and while, they, while some of the information can be a little dated, um, it's amazing how well they still mm-hmm. hold up. You know, yeah. I, have a, I, I was in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas just last week at the birding festival there. And uh, I was birding with John Lowry, my call ABA colleague here. And he, he pulls out the ABA lane guide to the lower Rio Grande Valley. <laughs> and that thing was published like 15 nice. years ago, yeah. the most recent edition. And it's still relevant uh, to help you find these places and these birds, even if they aren't quite as specific uh, 15 years on as they, as they were at in the moment they were published. But yeah, these are neat books. I'm, I'm glad to see one on the list. Those can be surprisingly enjoyable um, just the writing even mm-hmm. can be like mm-hmm. a lot of times the, you can really tell that the authors not just know the place well, but like love it mm-hmm. and they write about it very descriptively and um, they can just be pleasant to, to read through, not just for their utility, I'd say. Yeah. So I, I really like that genre too. And it's nice to see it persist. Yes, yeah, for sure. And I like the fact that they, the authors are writing not just for locals, but for people who visit their yeah. special chapters on finding yeah. the parrot roosts, which could yeah, be very nice. challenging, things like that. Good stuff. Um, thank you for that, Donna. Frank, do you want to do you want to go next? Your number five? Yes. So my number five is kind of a, a, l- a little bit of a different book than um, a lot of times we have on these lists. Mm-hmm. So my number five is the year. <laughs> My number five is The Market in Birds, Commercial Hunting, Conservation, and the Origins of Wildlife Consumerism, 1850-1920 by Andrea Smalley and Henry Reeves. So this is like a real deal history book written by an academic historian 
mm-hmm. but it's it's still readable and enjoyable. It is dense in the way those books are dense. Um, you got to focus a bit and and bring the energy that those books require. What the authors argue is that before the Civil War, wildlife hunting, especially of waterfowl, was limited and seasonal. Mm-hmm. But after the war, with the emergence of so much more advanced technologies, infrastructure, and better guns and larger markets in cities, that's really what the book's about. It's about the market. Mm-hmm. Um, wildlife populations were devastated really quickly. And yeah. so that forced the nation to ask what the future of wildlife was because hunting practices were nowhere near sustainable for many Mm -hmm. species. So the cultural consequences of that sort of technological progress, the rise of consumerism and unmitigated hunting were were really profound. And so that led to the emergence of the conservation movement, which led to real achievements like Migratory Bird Treaty Act was a really big one. There were other legal protections that were kind of predecessors to that on a federal level. Yeah. So it's a very interesting book because it's like it analyzes how the emergence of really powerful market forces force certain cultural conflicts to play out, like whether wildlife was important for its commercial value or mm-hmm. for sort of a sense of intrinsic value of wildness. It changed the way people spoke about wildlife, thought about mm-hmm. wildlife um, as very large part birds. Birds are very central. Um, And so there were competing forms of rhetoric that emerged Hmm. or were like amplified, let's say. So there's a lot of uh, economic analysis coupled with cultural analysis. And there's also some legal analysis. It's just a really strong scholarly work and a bit of like a counter narrative to the idea that wildlife conservation has always been led in this country, at least by hunting organizations that Mm -hmm. were they had their excesses, but they were like rehabilitated. It's just like, it's a more complex analysis of that than I've seen before personally. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just a real, there's a focus on characters and players that normally aren't looked at, not just like the hunters, but also like judges and like middlemen entrepreneurs. So it's Mm -hmm. really interesting. Um, It's, 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 it's a very cool book. If you're, if you're are interested in that subject matter and want someone who's like, really, really done thorough research and has and has those kinds of skills to write about that subject. So that's my yeah, number I, five. <laughs> yeah, that that's fascinating. And I, I've yeah. not seen this book, but that I, I agree that that topic is is really ripe for um ripe for, you know, a deep investigation because we you know we are living with the consequences of a lot of those conservation decisions right now in 2022. You know, that this is post-Civil War up to 1920, over a hundred years ago, but those efforts that were put in motion during this period are absolutely relevant to conservation efforts today and us as birders who are trying to, you know, continue those conservation efforts. It's very, it's, 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 it does like what most, maybe even mm-hmm. all academic books do, which would be like, so far the scholarship has done this, but no one has ever done this. And it's like may or may not be, a, you know, an embellished framework. But she really did convince me or the two authors, it's a, it's a historian and a wildlife biologist, they're co-authors. Mm-hmm. Um, they did convince me that it was a unique look that 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 really examined some some factors and players that were not properly examined yet. Oh, so this is a very cool book. All right, I'm going to move on to um, my number five. I'm going to make an executive decision and switch my number four and my number five here. Um, <laughs> 
My number five is uh, Birds and Us by Tim Burkhead that came out from um, Princeton University Press. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting, but you know, I'm always interested in these sort of histories that take a look at the way humans have interacted with birds over the history of humanity. And I think Burkhead does a pretty good job um, with some, he's got some holes. And I think uh, Donna, you have some comments on that. I think they're they're important to note. Uh, you know, I think it's an interesting look at, at some of these places and times and um I don't have a whole lot more to say on it. As as I said, like this was kind of difficult for me to come up with five five books this year. Um, <laughs> this was the best of the rest, sort of honorable mention kind of book that might make it in other years. But um, uh, the Birds and People that came out a few years ago uh, did a similar yeah. sort of uh, similar sort of approach on that. It was Mark Cocker? Yeah, uh, was it? And, mm-hmm. um, and his had you know nicer photos, which I think is a point in his in his favor. But um, you know, any uh, any opportunity to kind of take a look at these kind of ways people and birds have interacted over the over the course of our you know, collected history um, is appreciated in this space. And um, Burkhead does a, does a pretty good job with this. I love Birds and Us. That was more of an encyclopedia. Mm, and mm-hmm. um, Burkhead, mm. he combined, he talks more about how people study birds. Mm-hmm. Um, although there is a lot of old, classical and ancient history there. But he also mixes it up with his own personal stories and feelings so it's like part Mm -hmm. memoir part history i had a uh issue with it um in that i felt like he really really tried but he didn't really uh cover Mm. women's um Mm -hmm. role in the history of studying birds as well as it could have been done for sure Um, and i think he also sort of had trouble with the issue of colonialism um i think he had very good intentions but like you said, it 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 could have been done better. Yeah. Well, you know, we were just talking earlier about the uh, have um, have we run out of things to talk about in in bird books? And here's, here's yes. an opportunity <laughs> for someone to take a yeah. take a, a more inclusive tack on on this topic. Um, I think part of that may have been the personal narrative aspect of it is probably where that stuff kind of got messed up. And so it'd be nice to see this sort of topic taken up by uh, a more diverse authorship or a group of authors or one author. I think mm. that might be a really interesting insights into ornithology from that perspective as well. So room for growth for sure. Yeah, but it is a fun mm. book and I mm-hmm. I did I learned a lot. Yeah. Caitlin Kite is gonna who has reviewed for birding many times for many years, uh, actually asked to review this book. And oh, so okay. the review is not done. I haven't seen it yet. Um but she's working on so we'll see what what she has to say yeah opportunity yeah hope she uh tackles some of those and she's a very good reviewer too great aren't we all aren't we all yes we (laughs) are you guys better than me for sure and which is why i have you here yeah so let's move on to uh number four um i i made a switch here donna because uh my number five was my number four and um we can kind of combine our our topics here ah yeah, let's just go ahead with you. So this was both of our number fours. <laughs> Donna, let's uh let's let's do it. Field Guide to Birds of Maine by Nick Lund, part mm-hmm. of the American Birding Association Field Guide series. And I was so happy to see this because one, it's by my count, it's the first field guide in two years. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that ABA is still doing this. And two, I am a f- fan 
of Nick's. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy listening to him on your podcast. I follow him on uh, social media. He is a smart guy. He's able to look at serious subjects with a humorous slant. Mm-hmm. And he's a really good writer. So when I get these books, I always look at the species accounts because I figure once you're like writing the 20th ABA field guide, it's like, what else can you say <laughs> That's about? That's true. That is one of the hardest parts about writing one of these books. It's <laughs> not copying other people's descriptions red, you know, of birds. Red-shouldered hawk or bald eagle. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely but, true. But Nick does a really good job because what he does is he relates every species to Maine. It's history mm-hmm. in Maine, or where you can see hmm. it in Great. Maine. It's a nice angle. Yeah, yeah. It's a really. I think I don't want to do comparative, but it's a good book <laughs> if you live in Maine or if you're going to visit Maine. I think it enhances whatever you would learn from your regular field guide. I, I completely agree. I think it's noteworthy that Scott and Nix published this. Uh, I know that they have sort of tried to go after sort of the bigger states, bigger mm-hmm. population states uh, to start. And Maine is a relatively small population, but it is, you know, a very popular vacation destination. And so I think that was an angle mm-hmm. to as well. But I think a lot of the reason they went with this is just because of Nick's charisma and his abilities as a birder and as a writer. Uh, to kind of give him this vehicle to showcase not only the birds of Maine and Maine, but Nick himself, uh, which is a, you know, a great idea. Um, Obviously, big fan of Nick and his work here. Yeah, I I mean, it's just so nicely done. I love this series. I think it's just appeals to a lot of novice and beginner birders. It kind of gives them an, you know, an introduction to the places where they live without being completely overwhelmed by a Sibley or a National Geographic field guide. Um, I'm excited to see where the series goes from this. I know that they are going into Canada soon. There is a field guide to Ontario that is coming out very soon. So that's kind of cool. I know that's not the main guide, but that's neat to see that we're going to get some some Canadian coverage in this series. Very exciting for Nick. I know he had two books that came out this year. Mm-hmm, um, so mm-hmm. He's been working a lot. Uh, we talked about him in an earlier episode of the podcast. I encourage people to check that out. Um, but good stuff from ABA and Scott and Nick's and, of course, from Nick Lund. And Brian Small, who does Brian Small, his photos. I, I feel like, yeah, I should absolutely cut Brian Small. His photographs are exceptional. Yeah. So how does this, how does Nick's book compare to your book, Nate? Oh, <laughs> you asking me to pick my favorites? Well, I'll just say that, you know, mine remains the only field guide in this series that covers two states. Two states. And not just one. <laughs> so... Obviously, you get more bang for your buck. But if you're going to uh, if you're going to Maine, if you're interested in Maine, definitely this is a this is a great mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. <laughs> so Frank, your number four is one that is further up on our lists. Right. So um, we will cover that in a bit. That means we circle back around to me, and that was the <laughs> maybe this was more complicated. <laughs> that was Birds of Maine with Nick, and then uh, so Donna, back to you. <laughs> Oh. For your number three, which was all of our number threes. So that's really oh, convenient. Okay. But I went first last time. Someone else. Well, you go got to do it again. You got to do it again. And, and I know we've all got a lot to say about this guide. So we're up to the baby bird book. Baby which, birds. When I look at the top five, I'm looking for several things. Uh, one of them is uniqueness. Mm-hmm. And this did strike me as being fairly unique. It's not the first book on this topic, but it's the first that presents itself uh, just baby birds. I think mm-hmm. the, the last one, I have to look at my notes, was on eggs and nests yeah. and baby birds. Yeah. It is 
I think a little more, more of a specialized audience than you might think from the title. Um, mm-hmm. Because when mm-hmm. you think about it, who needs to identify baby birds? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Usually baby birds are with the parents. That's right. Makes it easy. So this is Baby Bird Identification, a North American Guide uh, by Linda Tuttle Adams from Cornell University Press. Mm-hmm. It is written for rehabbers. And yeah. a lot of the text is oriented for rehabbers who have maybe received a baby bird, you know, someone's like, oh, I found this bird and Mm -hmm. it's injured, bring it to a rehab and you have to identify it. However, I love the illustrations. Mm -hmm. Uh, The illustrations are by um, Linda Tuttle Adams. By Linda, yeah. And they are just so, I'm going to go into baby talk. She she has painted these just beautiful, adorable little baby birds. Uh, you can almost feel the fuzz on them. <laughs> <laughs> I would say buy the book just for the illustrations, but it is a really beautiful enhancement because I think the other birds, the two other birds that have talked about baby birds used photographs. Yeah. But there is just a lot, a lot of very uh, specific text here about data on baby birds, you know, how much they weigh, how, you know, their length, plumage details to help rehabbers identify them. Of course, a lot of baby birds look alike. Mm -hmm. And there's a very, very long introduction on the process of identification. Uh, My main disappointment was she doesn't cover every single baby bird in creation. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's, he's suggesting we need a birds of the world of, of baby, baby birds, birds <laughs> of the world. just because i want to see the illustrations um it is very selective so for example for for turns she has a common turn but not least turn mm-hmm. um she does say in the introduction that she doesn't pay as much attention to some bird families like terns because they're colonial nesters. So so mm-hmm. I can understand that. But yeah. I, I think this is, if you're going to buy the book, I think that's something you should know. I, I think Donna covered a lot of what there is to say about this book already, but there's, there's two big things. Mm-hmm. One is that there's a tremendous amount of knowledge and expertise in this book. It's very, mm-hmm. very impressive in that sense. And it's not a topic that has received a lot of coverage um, previously. For sure. um, and the other important thing about the book, Donna, spoke a little bit about this too as i said there's a lot of really grumpy guys in this book <laughs> there are a lot of very frowny friends yeah in the plates some of the grumpy guys are having a really bad hair day with just like a few little tufts of white fo- feathers on top so if you have an interest in the grumpy guy the, the grumpy guys and the frowny friends this one's probably worth adding to the collection yeah, absolutely. The only thing I would add is that um, I am excited by the entry of Cornell University Press into the bird book space. It feels very natural. And um, I know that they have not they have published some notable bird books over the years, but I think obviously the opportunity is there for them to do more. Um, and mm-hmm. I hope to see them do more. Um, I, I talked to Linda uh, earlier this year. Uh, on the podcast. And um, yeah, she's she's a rehabber, first and foremost, I think. Um, 
as birders perhaps underestimate the amount of knowledge that rehabbers have about birds, especially identification of baby birds, because it's not something that we do very mm-hmm. often, if at all. Mm-hmm. All you need to do is go to a thread in What's This Bird in the summer and see all the incorrect identifications of baby birds mm. that people photograph to see that we have some <laughs> trouble with that as this is a community. Um, it's, a, it's a neat bird book to have. Uh, if you're looking at kind of completing your collection with every possible iteration of field guides and bird identification guides, it's absolutely something that you you need to have on your shelf. Kudos to Linda. Kudos to uh, Cornell University Press for putting this through. Um, it's a neat book. I, it's unique. And yes. I think that um, goes unique. a long way towards, you know, getting it on my list. It, it oh. helps that it's really well done besides. Cornell University Press has always published like at least two bird related mm-hmm. titles and they published the breeding bird the second breeding bird atlas of new mm-hmm. york state maybe they'll publish the third maybe maybe so <laughs> one other just really quick thing i was going to say about this book that's great about it is that it was, it was nate reminded me of this with, with this comment about how birders aren't you know in general very good at identifying baby birds is that this one i actually got an uncorrected proof version so i have it as a mm-hmm. pdf um and so once I start getting those, you know, texts and DMs of baby birds in in like late <laughs> spring and early oh, summer, yeah, now it. with this book, I'm empowered to just hit him with the PDF, you know, and like, and, you know, <laughs> maybe with like the little prey emoji, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so nice. I appreciate the author and the book for that reason. That's right. Yep. It it uh, yep. It fills a needed niche for sure among the. Um, birders who are frequently tasked with identifying photos taken by their non-birding friends. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think if it would also be useful to people doing breeding bird atlases. Mm-hmm. I think in those mm. cases, you usually do see the parent birds. Yeah, typically. So, typically, yeah. yeah. I don't usually worry. Well, I mean, some things like, um, you know, birds of prey will sometimes come out um, before they're completely fledged and look kind of mm-hmm. wonky. Um, but you know, you can usually identify those that are not terribly difficult, but, um, eh, you know, you know, you never know, you never know. It's one of those feel. it's one of those guides that you, you don't know you need it until you need it. Right. Right. So, uh, mm-hmm. all right. So let's move on to, uh, up the list. Number twos, um, both. Donna's and mine are the same, uh, so we'll do those second. But anyway, we'll give Frank a chance to talk about his number two. Frank, the floor is yours. Right. So my number two was Bird Brother, A Falconer's Journey and the Healing Power of Wildlife by Mm -hmm. Rodney Stotts. So this is a memoir. Uh, Alex Troutman reviewed this book for birding. It's a Mm -hmm. great review. The first thing to mention with this book is that the bird focus of the book is falconry, which isn't something that... I normally am particularly interested mm-hmm. in, and I think it's safe to say that most birders aren't actually that that drawn to. However, this is a really this is a really fantastic book, and it is about birds in large part. So, like raptor, I'll say that raptor enthusiasts will probably learn something, some things about raptors, even just biologically, um, not necessarily directly about falconry. So, it does have that value. Mm-hmm. But the book is also not that much about falconry it's really about the author's story of being passionate about wildlife realizing that he wanted to dedicate his life to that and pursuing that goal despite really tremendous difficulties like he faced some really really hard things in his life and he has mm-hmm. he has faced them um so like the first scene of this book is a drug deal and a good friend of the author also gets like murdered he goes to jail there are just some really difficult moments and parts of his story but 
It's really nicely written story. Big parts of it alternate between earlier challenges of his life and his son. Um, like that'll be one section. Then the next section will be like his son declaring that he wants to be a falconer and mm. how he, you know, he, he helps his son to, to learn about falconry. So it's got that sort of like braided structure. Um, it's very powerful. It's very moving. A lot of the storytelling is driven by dialogue. It's a really strong narrative. So I think a big part of what makes this book special is that birders understand that once you discover the world of birds, it transforms your life. Things are never really as they were before. And for for the author, Rodney Stotts, it's similar, but like almost like magnified because mm -hmm. he came from such challenging circumstances and birds really helped him get to a better place. So I think that can really resonate with readers, it's something that's both familiar and like amplified. Um, yeah. I, I think so. He has this part of the book where he says, "Like, I'm 46 now, and if I went back in time 25 years and told myself I would become a master fa master falconer, I wouldn't have believed it. Not because yeah. he didn't already love birds at that time, but because he didn't think that he would live that long. Mm -hmm. So you can really see, like, in his storytelling, that when people were kind to him during hard times, he returns that kindness, like." many times over in the future, not to those same people, but to other people, especially kids. Mm -hmm. uh, he does like a lot of youth education stuff now. So it's just, like I said, it's a really moving and powerful story. I highly recommend the book. Yeah, I'm glad you included this book. It's not one that I necessarily would have thought of as a, as a birding book, but it's obviously mm -hmm. very much mm -hmm. a bird book and a bird right. story. I, I remember reading Alex's review. Um, uh, it, it was fantastic. And I, I have not seen this book, but I would like to, um, I, I think I might, based on your recommendation, yeah. Frank, check it out. I, you mm -hmm. know, I'm a, I'm a sucker it's for great. bird stories where, where you sort of tales of, tales of uh, redemption are sort of centered around birds. There aren't too many of those in the bird. Uh, H's usually for like, hawk. Yeah. And, you know, mm, some of the mm -hmm. big year narratives sure, kind of yeah. touch on that a little mm, bit. Yes. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that we need more of those. I think, you know, as, as birders, we need to be open to the many ways that people uh, enjoy birds and bring birds into their lives um, and see those people as sort of natural allies in the conservation space and, 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 and yeah. you know, in support of birds too, which is great. And um, yeah, great, great choice, Frank. It's a great book. So Donna and I um, shared the top three choices of our books, um, and which is one of the reasons why we always bring Frank on because he does <laughs> kind of challenge us to uh, get outside of our very it's bird good to have a weirdo. <laughs> uh, yes, right. No, I appreciate it, Frank. That's why you're such a valued member of this uh, of this team. Well, thank you, Nate. Appreciate that. Uh, number two is another book uh, whose author I had on the American Birding Podcast recently that I really enjoyed, uh, the Bird Name Book by Susan Myers. Uh, from Princeton University Press. I love this book. I keep coming back to it just because the um, the connection of etymology and ornithology is a mm -hmm. very interesting angle for me. I love bird names. I love thinking about bird names. Uh, people uh, who listen regularly to this podcast probably think I am a little bit obsessed with bird names. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I like the etymology. I like the history. I like all that stuff. You know, this is another one of those books like the Baby Bird book that you didn't really realize you needed until you have it in front of you and you realize how useful it is. Um, these little these little facts, these little trivia uh, nuggets of information about birds are just so precious. And um, Susan, I know Susan Myers did a ton of work uh, putting these things together and she did a fantastic job. Um, yeah, this is this is a great bird. Late, late 
year contender for uh, best bird book of the year for sure for me. I think it's important to note that these are names of families and yes, not species. Not individual species names. Yes. And Susan, so it's eagle I, and not white-tailed eagle. Yeah. Right. Or, yeah, uh, warbler, but not chestnut-sided warbler right. or methanotary okay. warbler. Um, so, Susan, if you're listening, I expect a series of follow-ups where you go through <laughs> each family. <laughs> we talked about that in the in the episode. That would yeah. uh, take way too long, she said. Well... <laughs> She's a professional bird guy. That's sure right. She She's has got a some lot downtime. of time on her hands yeah. waiting in airports. That's right. <laughs> um, it's a beautifully packaged book. And, yes. Um, yes. It's a podcast, so you can't show it. But she has mm. a lot of historical illustrations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And her own photographs. And she's yeah. an excellent photographer. Yeah. And not only that, the book itself uh the quality of the paper the quality of the printing it's it's all very very well done yeah yeah princeton really went all out on this one yeah um you know they they see this as like a book that a lot of people are going to want on her on their shelves and they've sort of packaged it to last it to that regard i had a question about this one i didn't i didn't get this one yet um Mm -hmm. i think donna kind of already answered the question but i'll ask it anyway because maybe there's something else to say it's sort of like a, I'm like channeling Rick right here. So yeah, what, what, what <laughs> there's, there's a lot of books that have been written about bird names mm-hmm. already, and they kind of come out periodically. Um, that is a book that's sort of like, you know, if you're being a little cynical, you might say gets written over and over and over again. So what makes this one different? And Donna did say it's the family focus, but like, is there mm-hmm. anything else? That was my question too. And, and I haven't, really done the research into all of the previous books but -hmm. there is uh, i think a scholarly approach Mm -hmm. and she has consulted a lot of original sources she quotes some Mm -hmm. of the original sources she doesn't go into the people uh, because she's not doing species so it's not like you have big nails thrush you just have thrush Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. i think a lot of previous bird naming books have focused more on the people Um, or just maybe folktales about naming. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to my mind, it's a it's a really nice uh, counterpoint to the Helm Dictionary of Scientific Bird Names that we talked mm-hmm. about in our non mm-hmm. non bird best bird books uh, right. previous conversation that we had. Um, you know, that one focuses on scientific names and and translation of the various Greek Latin Latin ish bird names that are that are assigned to scientific names. And this one is is common names. It's not something I've seen before. I'll say that. And maybe that okay. is a statement to my naivete about some of the bird book bird name books that have come out before, or um, you know, it's just came at a time when this sort of topic and this issue are sort of at the more more towards the front of my mind. But mm, it's mm-hmm. it's not something I've seen before in the past covered this way that's great she she says in the introduction uh she acknowledges the current controversies um Mm -hmm. and says she's uh sympathetic towards that but this is not the topic of this particular book however she does Mm -hmm. have a chapter in the beginning called the namers n-a-m-e-r-s um where she uh gives brief uh histories of the um major people, ornithologists, explorers, etc., who who named a lot of birds and give some of their backgrounds, which mm-hmm. I think helps 
the more current conversation. I agree. And she's sort of unflinching about a lot of those as well, which I think is, you know, to her credit, there's been a bit of post hoc justification of the deeds of these sort of people. And, and, and it's nice to see, you know, a more sober approach to that. I will say, yeah, it's, it's a great book. One of my favorites for sure. Cool. All right. We're, we're to our top books and, and um, Donna's in mind was one that Frank you had in here. That is vagrancy and birds by Alexander Lees. We'll talk about that. We'll put a pin in that one. We'll talk about that here in a second, but uh, Frank, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about um, your number one book, which is a book, sure. which is a title that I was not aware of, but man looks right up my alley. <laughs> we'll that. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So the book is elusive birds of the tropical understory and it has various editors, John Whitelaw, Jeffrey Braun, Henry Pollock and John Fitzpatrick. So m- normally when I like when I, we've done this in years past, my top pick is usually a book that is like like a grand subject matter and also mm-hmm. just excellent at what it does. This year, my top pick is different in that it's much more niche, but mm-hmm. it just happens to combine like a bunch of different things that I really love and they're all well done in the book. So that's why it's my that's top nice. pick. Um, so it, it's a coffee table book. Like I wrote about this in one of my reviews columns, but coffee table books are like, that's like a book genre that most people don't think that highly of, but mm-hmm. it's a genre that I actually really like. The photography has to be really, really good to justify itself, um, to be that prominent. And the text is usually surprisingly informative. They, they usually have a, like a nice angle to them. They're just mm-hmm. very beautiful books. So I, I, I am a, a coffee table book fan. I'm, I'm comfortable like admitting that. Um, you so need a like, lot of coffee tables to fill up with uh, <laughs> books. <laughs> I only have like one coffee table in my whole house. I don't have enough room for all the coffee table books. I mean, I don't, I don't display them prominently. I just sort of like stow them away after. Yeah, after a lot of space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to put them on the bottom shelf. Uh, anyway, so there's a lot of star power in the book. It's like the forward is by Victor Emanuel. The afterward is by John Kreitzer. Um, so the idea about the book is really cool. It's it's about the title makes it seem like it's about really rare, hard to find tropical mm-hmm. species. So like when I got it, I was like, this book is going to be awesome, but it's also going to make me mad because I'm going to be so <laughs> mad that I haven't seen like all these birds and like probably not going to see them anytime soon. But it's actually not really about really rare birds. Um, it's about birds that are sometimes like pretty common even, but they're like real skulkers. They're hard to see. They're really like, they're not... Um, they're just like not really prominent species. Uh, they're very hard to photograph many of mm-hmm. them. So like, like ant birds, like wood wrens, um, ant thrushes, like some of the really like skulky fly catchers. It's like those guys. So I've, I've actually seen like a lot of the birds in this book. It's, it's very focused around Panama. I think all or most of the photographs are in Panama. So you, you probably saw some this year. Yeah. Um, great, great opportunity for, um, uh photographing some of those skulker birds. I remember getting some good looks at a few of them. Right. But the photos in this book are actually, they're spectacular. They're, if you guys know Joel Sartori, um, his style of photography, it's like, it's an almost human like portraiture of the species with an all black background. You have mm. to get those kinds of photos. You have to really, really know what you're doing. I could not take a photo like that, even with perfect cooperation from the birds i just don't know how to do it um so that's very cool first of all and there there's also like like alexander scutch has a really heavy presence in the book he's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite 
nature writers, especially given that his writing is like not that well known, but people mm-hmm. who are interested in reading about the neotropical rainforest know about him. Um, he's like has a real he's like a really in the, in the book. His spirit is in the book. Um, and so I love that about the book. Um, and the life histories are just really nice. They're really interesting. They're much more like mini essays than in a lot of other books that are organized by species. That's also very scotch like. Mm-hmm. So it just, like I said, it just combines a lot of things that I really enjoy. And that's why it's my number one pick this year. Hmm. Very nice. Very nice. I'll have to keep an eye out for this. And it's from Cornell University Press. Uh, right? I've grown is Frank lifting the book up to show <laughs> yes. it to the camera. You are correct. You are correct. Oh, that's big. So we, oh. we, we, we wished earlier that uh, Cornell would be doing what we're <laughs> hey, friends. Here we go. You know? Look at this. Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for that, Frank. And um, uh, Donna, do you want to introduce uh, our number one? And then I will, um, you know, hit whatever parts that you you don't hit, though you're usually very okay. thorough. Uh, we, we share this number one. Yes. Vagrancy and Birds by Alexander Lees and James Gilroy. As soon as I started my list, this was yeah. the one book that I thought of automatically. Mm-hmm. It checks off almost everything on my criteria list. It is unique. It's well written and it has up to date information. Mm-hmm. It has good photographs. And the photographs are interesting because they're talking about vagrant birds. You don't necessarily have a professional bird photographer yeah. on site. Yeah, so a lot not. of the photographs yeah. are mm-hmm. by birders. It yeah. combines both species accounts and it's framed by both a summary of research on bird vagrancy and analysis of the research. Mm -hmm. It is unique. Uh, The closest book is Howell and uh, there's another author whose name escapes Uh, me. Howell and Russell. Yeah. Will Russell. Yeah. Uh, Their book, uh, Rare Birds. what is the right title? Rivers of North America. I have it. I always right. have it next to me. <laughs> yeah, like so the one that's, bird that's book that is the closest, right on my right but, hand. Yeah. But this is very different. Of course, Rare Birds yeah. includes identification. It's Correct. North yes. American focus. This is worldwide yes. rare birds. Yeah. Um, talking about them in a very modern way that I don't think has been done before. Yeah. For sure. Um, yeah, vagrancy is a topic that is like catnip to to most birders, um, ourselves <laughs> included. Um, I, even if I don't get to see the birds, I love thinking about what could possibly be coming, why they're moving around the globe like this. Um, I, you know, Alexander Lees and, and Gil, James Gilroy do a fantastic job. I'll be honest, I didn't know what to expect when I got this book. I thought it would mm. be something more like the the um, Howell Russell Lewington. Uh, book that we just referenced, mm. uh, and it, and it wasn't it wasn't at all. Um, he does a you know family by family breakdown of the vagrancy potential and records of just about every bird family in the world, um, even the ones that you would not expect. So there's some, some mm-hmm. surprising incidences of vagrancy. Among, well, well, uh, some birds. of them are just like no vagrancy here. <laughs> yeah, and some of them are just very short. Yeah, and yeah, it's just very thorough. And well done. If, you, if you're curious about vagrancy, and I noticed some of the some of the illustrations, some of the charts and maps and stuff um, in this book are the same as they were in the uh, Russell and uh, mm-hmm. Howell book, um, which makes sense. They're both Princeton University Press, so why would you want to reuse them? Taken together, these two books are 
are just a fantastic coverage of the phenomenon of va- bird vagrancy. I love it. It's, it's, it's a topic that I have a great deal of interest in, and uh, it's just done really well. It's always nice when you have a topic that's really interesting and they end up doing it uh, justice. Yes. And um, easily my number one of the year. Um, highly researched. The amount of mm-hmm. research just blows my mind. How oh, they, yeah, so much. How did they keep track? You know, yeah. what kind of spreadsheet did they use? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's, I think the the list of references is about 50 pages long. <laughs> it's very long. I, yeah, uh. very long. I always try and think who the audience is for these books. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, it's people like us who are, you know, fascinated by vagrancy. I think it has a wider audience to... Um, naturalist interested in migration and vagrancy in general, because Mm. in the part of the book where they talk about vagrancy trends and the reasons for it, which are much more diverse than I would have imagined, that Mm -hmm. would apply to a lot of different families of animals. He does mention that uh, somewhere early in the book, as I recall, about how um, there's actually a lot of different types of animals, not just birds, that can be Mm -hmm. vagrants, many types of insects and also many types of large mammals um some reptiles mm-hmm. uh so we need i mean we need that book that, that's gonna be a great book list of best bird books but it'll be a fascinating book for any naturalist yeah the, i think the hold on the first photo when you open up this book is a it's a connecticut warbler on a one of the farallon islands it's just yeah. like a book for birders, you know? It's yeah. just like really a book. It, it throws down for the gauntlet us. right so, off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's it's very cool. It it's um it has really great technical information, um, as 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 you guys have mentioned, like like how wind drift affects birds. Like mm-hmm. you, you can actually learn a lot about how vagrancy happens by reading mm-hmm. this book. Yeah. So that's important. Mm-hmm. The family accounts are really cool. It's a, it's a very pleasant book to flip through and read the captions. You can learn yes. a lot of yeah. really interesting factoids just by looking at the photos, reading the captions. Like, like I just was, when I first flipped through it, I was like, like you know, learn sandhill cranes are wintering with increasing frequency in Japan. That's mm-hmm. not something I know about a species that I'm very familiar with. Yeah. Uh, so it's very interesting in that way. So really, it's a, re- it's a great book. It easily could have been higher on my list too. So yeah. yes. Um, that that gets to the end of all our lists. We'll um, we'll have those in the show notes if you're interested in checking those out. I have one more question before we say goodbye. I know we're coming up on the end of uh, of a whole hour. We've been talking for a while. I didn't know that we get there, but we got there. We always get there. Um, <laughs> are you are there any books that you know that are coming out in 2023 that you're looking forward to? I can think of a couple. Yeah, hmm. the flycatcher is a flycatcher book coming out the next year. Flycatcher book. Yeah. yeah. Which book so is that? Contenders for, for next year. There's a, a Princeton University Press flycatcher book ah. that looks really cool. There are probably some other ones. I think there's yeah. a there's a Winter Finch book field guide that's in the works. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's supposed to come out next year. So that one. Uh, Rebecca Heisman has a book on uh, bird oh, science. Yeah. That's and, right. Um, that's right. You know, how, how, you know, scientists learn about bird migration and stuff that looks pretty interesting. Um She's been a guest on the podcast before. Uh, there, as I, the aforementioned uh, ABA field guide to uh, Birds of Ontario is scheduled to come out in 2023. I'm really looking forward to having a look at that. Um, yeah, there, it looks like 2023 is going to be a good year. Um, yeah, I and- just got um, a few days ago a copy of um, it's the second edition Galapagos and Natural History mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. John Kreiker and Kevin Lowland. 
uh, which I just didn't have time to look at for yeah. this this podcast. But anything by these authors going to be worth a look. Yeah, right. Exactly. Both of those guys have contributed a lot to Birding Magazine. There was a book that came out at the very end of 2021 called mm-hmm. Strilded Finches of the World by Jalmer Huisman. That's a really, really great book. If I had seen that book in 2021, it would have been on my 2021 list, but I didn't see it until like the next year. And we reviewed it in Birding. Um, Justin Peter wrote the review. So I just wanted to mention that book because (laughs) it would have been on my 2021 list, but I didn't see it until Yeah, these books that come out, you know, the tail end get short shrift. Yeah, unfortunately. If you're interested in that family or you like, you know, we did the whole episode on the family books. Yeah. um, it's it's a really great entry in that sort of mm. genre of subgenre of bird books. Good to know. Good to know. Yet another one. Um, thank you to you both for all your work. You know, with book reviews and bird books. Uh, just keeping an eye on that stuff. Thank you both for your time talking about bird books. It is always a pleasure to have you both on. We'll we'll get you uh, around in the new year. We'll come up with another birding book club topic uh, to have sometime soon. I know people really enjoy those. Donna Shulman of 10,000 Birds and Frank Zagari of Birding Magazine editor. Thank you so much. Well, and happy holidays. Thanks for having me. Thanks, yeah. Happy Thanks, holidays. Donna. Happy right. holidays. Good, good bird booking. <laughs> good reading. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's better. Yeah. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. The ABA provides many free resources for the birding community, including this podcast. And all we ask in return is that you help support them by joining the ABA. You also get our magazines, discounts to our partners, opportunities to travel with us, and the feeling you're contributing to a bigger and better birding community in the U.S., Canada, and beyond. Also, ABA memberships make great holiday gifts. If you're looking for that last stocking stuffer or Hanukkah gift or whatever you celebrate, ABA memberships would be a great gift for the birder in your life. Special shout outs to Catherine Bidnarik and Daphne Eftini of Alexandria, Virginia, and Kevin Floyd of El Paso, Texas, all of whom recently joined the ABA and noted the podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much for doing that. Welcome to the ABA. Executive director of the ABA and executive producer of the podcast is Nikki Belmonte, who is disappointed to hear that the market in birds was in fact not some sort of Richard scary world with a bird run supermarket with butcher birds and green jay grocers. Technical production is by John Lowry, who is right this minute writing Bird Bother, A Falcon's Journey, and The Eating Power of Wildlife. Additional help with social media comes from George Munoz, whose book, well, really more of a spreadsheet, Birds in Us, is a minute-by-minute identification of the background bird vocalizations in Jordan Peele's 2019 horror film. Very limited uh, audience for this sort of book, I imagine. You can find us online at aba.org and on social media most everywhere as American Birding Association. On Twitter, we are at ABA. You know, the sixth anniversary is the iron anniversary. So I will be accepting gifts in the form of ferruginous hawks or pygmy owls, or if belated, rusty blackbirds. Questions, comments can come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next week.